Today's passage is uh, about three things that people um, add to Jesus. And really, they're, they're three ways that Christians could get religious. And um, Paul's saying simply, as he goes through this three ways that the Christians could get religious, he's simply saying, don't. Don't do it. Don't get religious. Uh, because Christianity isn't a religion. Uh, now, uh, I've, asked, I've asked for a couple of volunteers. Um, Kyle, where are you, Kyle? Kyle, yeah, come up to the front. Neil, you come up to the front as well. Um, now, imagine that these aren't Kyle and Neil. These are Kylus and Neilus. Um, they're first century Roman Christians. Okay? Um, so, um, uh, they um, you know, just um, happen to meet in the forum. Um, and, um, and they're friends, actually. So um, uh, Neela says, uh, hi, Kylis, how's it going? And uh, Kylis says, hi, Neelis, not bad. I'm just on my way to the temple. Tell me, Neelis, I never see you at the temple. How come? Oh, well, partly because I like watching films, I mean, plays. Um, uh, but partly it's because I'm a Christian and we don't have them. No temples, Kylis says. But where are your priests? We, we, we don't have them either. What? But who offers the sacrifices? No, we don't, we don't have those either. And so they keep talking. And um, as, as it goes on, Kylus find, finds out that Neelus and Christians uh, don't have rites or, or rituals or routines or holy buildings or, or mountains or clothing or um, mantras or prayers to say or um, holy caste, no holy titles, no holy hierarchy. Christianity has none of the stuff of religion. And in first century Rome, that would have been deeply, deeply shocking. Kylus, can you do a deeply shocked face? Can you do a really shocked face? Can you show everyone your deeply shocked face? Very good. Thank you. Go, go and take a seat. Um, but but that's, that's really, really important to realise. Fast forward a couple of thousand years... And actually, those things have kind of crept in. We can't say anymore that Christianity has none of the stuff of religion. But original Bible Christianity had none of those things. And that's because Christianity is not a religion. Last week's passage actually explains why why that was. If you were here last week, you might remember. Uh, Because it, it reminded us of who Jesus is and what he'd done on the cross. And because of that... Uh, The Christian is already fully forgiven, fully in the presence of God, uh, fully um, empowered uh, against uh, sin and wrong, uh, because she is fully in Christ. So Christianity needs none of the stuff of religion. Remember last time... uh, we, um, we find everything we could ever need uh, in Jesus. Let me get, get our flip charts again um, and uh, remind you of the uh, Gospel maths we find in Colossians. You may or may not be able to read this, but we'll give it a go. Um, here we go. Jesus plus nothing is everything, but Jesus plus anything equals nothing. So if we add anything to Jesus, uh, you end up losing him. Uh, so, uh, verse 6 from last week, um, flick your eyes back there, page 1183, if you've lost it. 
And so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In other words, it's not a religion, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is, not a religion, a relationship. And Christianity, therefore, is really simple. It doesn't have all of the the complex stuff you find in, in other religions, because Christianity is all about getting to know Jesus better in the Bible, and then acting on what you learn. That's all Christianity is. Super simple, isn't it? That's all our Sunday meetings about. That, that's what we do on Christianity Explored on Wednesday evenings. And that's what I trust we, we uh, as Christians, try and do uh, when we uh, read the Bible uh, each day if, we, if we're in that, that habit, or as we meet up to encourage one another. But we're tempted to add religion. Now, why are we tempted? And this, this is all by way of introduction, I'm afraid. But, but it's worth thinking about why it is we find religion tempting. Maybe you don't think you're tempted by religion. Um, I bet you are, and we'll, we'll see that in a moment. Um, but we're all tempted to add religion because, firstly, there's a gap uh, between uh, the facts and our feelings. Uh, there's a big gap between those things. The facts are that, that Jesus has done it all for us, but it doesn't feel like that. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel uh, like uh, God is right there with us all the time. Sometimes God feels like he's nowhere near us at all. It'll feel like we've got guilt we need to atone for and make up for. It'll feel like we're trapped by the evil in our hearts. Even if the fact, the truth of the matter is uh, that we're uh, liberated and free and empowered. So when someone comes along and tells us we don't have it all, we need to add X, Y or Z, then we're vulnerable because we feel like they're right. Does that make sense? So, so the first reason we're tempted to add religion is because of the gap between uh, our fa- the facts and our feelings. But the second reason we're tempted to add religion is that we're all proud. Uh, naturally, we're, we're all proud. We want to be able to do something, uh, to contribute a little bit, um, or more than a little bit, perhaps, to uh, our salvation, uh, to our relationship with God. Uh, we, don't, we don't like to be um, a charity case. Uh, and we want to be uh, superior to others. We, we, we want to be, feel like we're, we're doing well uh, compared to other people. Now, um, verses 16 to 23 of Colossians chapter 2 are all about three different ways that people, therefore, are tempted to add religion. Stuff uh, that, that, that we do. And some of those things will be tempting in some ways to us and some of those things won't be tempting uh, to us. Um, and um, sometimes, therefore, you might feel like, um, you know, cheering me on. Yeah, you suck it to them. And sometimes uh, you might be tempted uh, to think uh, that what I'm saying is bad, is, is wrong. Uh, perhaps because I'm talking about something that you have somehow found helpful. Or perhaps you've grown up with it. And... Um, and I'm sure I'm going to say things poorly, and I apologise for that. And you can tell me how afterwards, I'm fine with that. Um, but your job is to try and think whether there's a kernel of truth in the things that I'm saying that you're finding uncomfortable. Um, we've also got a question time at the end of our series in Colossians, so you'll have your chance to, um, 
to say your bits or to ask your questions then. But please do grab, grab me afterwards and speak to you. So with that warning, that proviso, um, uh, let's um, get down to it um, as we think about these verses uh, of the scriptures. Uh, verses 16 and 17 first are a warning against um, what are called ceremonial religion. Okay, beware ceremonial religion. Have a look back down, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Uh, Now, in the Old Testament... Uh, There were special days, annual ones, festivals, like the Passover, uh, monthly ones, new moon celebrations, weekly ones, the Sabbath. And um, there are special things that you had to eat or drink or not eat or drink uh, on those special occasions. Um, uh, And then there are rites, uh, like circumcision, or rules, uh, like uh, tithing, uh, a whole kind of routine of ceremonial religion. See what I mean? Uh, Paul here is saying to the Christian, beware making Christian versions of all of those things. A Christian Sabbath, a Christian house of God, a Christian version of circumcision, uh, and so on. Now we do find those sorts of things tempting. I'll tell you why I think that is. Uh, Because they're they're tangible things. They're things you can feel and touch and do. Uh, So you you experience them up close. It sounds uh, good to us as well because we want to take the Old Testament seriously. Rightly. We want to uh, take the whole Bible really seriously. But the problem with this way of trying to do that is that it doesn't take Jesus seriously enough. These things in the Old Testament were only ever meant to be, do you see how Paul puts it in verse 17? They're only ever meant to be a shadow of what was to come. Uh, Now, um, imagine today as a special treat, I'd invited a juggler to come and to perform for us uh, here at Grace Church Dustin. And, And it's not just any juggler, it's the world's best juggler. Okay, so, so you're all really excited about it. And, um, and so, uh, I, I'm sorry, just in case you're getting really excited, I haven't. <laughs> uh, it's not going to happen. But imagine it had, and, um, and we're waiting, expecting. And imagine if it was a really sunny day. Remember, this is imaginary. A really sunny day, and, um, and somehow, I don't quite know how in this building, the sun was shining in such a way uh, that, that, that as the juggler stands um, just outside those doors, uh, however much you pray on that, you can't see the juggler, but you can see the shadow of the juggler. And we're all waiting, really excited. They're just getting a safety briefing or something out there, the meal. And, um, and you can see the shadow. And from the shadow, you can tell a few things. You can tell that it's a woman. And you can tell that they're uh, five foot three inches high or so. And you can tell that they've got uh, six flaming torches ready to juggle. Um, and, and the shadow can tell you a few different things, right? And the shadow is, is useful to see. But then when, the, when it's time, that the safety briefing is over, the juggler walks in. When, when, when she actually arrives, no one is looking at the shadow anymore. 
You're looking at the juggler. You're looking at what they're doing. And, and much more so with Jesus, Paul says. Those things in the Old Testament were like a shadow of the things to come. They can tell you a few things. They're really useful for seeing the person who's about to come on the stage. But once he arrives, no one should start looking at the shadow. Instead, when we, we meet together, we work out how Jesus is the fulfilment of all of those things in the Old Testament. How he is the fulfilment of the Sabbath day, for instance. Uh, what are the implications of that for our lives? Um, and so on, with all of the, the, the Old Testament things that point us forward to Jesus, we, we spend our time working that out, and that will take the rest of our lives to see uh, how Jesus fulfills all of that perfectly and what implications that has for us day to day. You see? But, but, but Paul would say, beware taking those shadows and making them our reality. Uh, if, um, if you were to go to um, uh, a Roman Catholic church, you'd be able to smell the incense and feel the atmosphere and revel in the darkness and uh, look at the, the priest. But those things are focusing our attention on the shadow, not on the reality. And Paul says, however much they seem to be offering something tangible and, and feelable and, and, and experienceable. Well, what does he say? Now have a look at verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. Shadows are un, un, insubstantial. There's no reality to them. The, 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 the real substantial thing is Jesus. And so, the same will happen if we start thinking of a, a church building as, as a way to meet God. I've said in the past, I'm, I'm glad we're meeting in a, a, a school. It'll keep us from that danger. Uh, or thinking of Israel as a holy place. Or thinking of, well, all sorts of things. We could go on and on about all the different ways that we're tempted to take Old Testament models and make them our reality. But I wonder, how are you tempted to do that? How have you done that, perhaps? Where, are, where is this clashing with things that you hold on to quite tightly? Paul wants to say, beware ceremonial religion. Don't add anything to Jesus, because then you'll be in danger of losing him. We'll, we'll, we'll lose reality. We'll enter fantasy land. And when we've uh, made ourselves... Uh, a load of uh, rituals which we observe and feel proud of ourselves for, or a load of kind of stuff that we can have so we can experience God, we'll miss out on God. And we'll miss out on listening to what God really says and focusing on the reality which we find in Christ. So beware ceremonial religion. The second thing, though, that Paul warns us about is something I call mystical religion. Uh, verses uh, 18 and 19. Mystical religion. Uh, verse 18, Don't, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels. Uh, by the way, worship of angels probably there means the worship belonging to angels, the worship that angels do. Uh, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. 
They've lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. What Paul is talking about here is expecting to be able to worship God like we are angels in his presence. So we can see him. That's why I talked about visions. And, and experience him very directly. Uh, that's why he talks about the people who go into great detail about what, what they've seen. A kind of worshipping God face to face. Being in his presence in a way that physically we aren't. Uh, a direct and intimate connection with God that's different to, to other Christians. A, a, a connection that you can... Uh, experience and feel. And mystical religion offers people a chance to have that experience here and now. A direct, intimate connection with God, seeing God, hearing him directly, experiencing him in a way at the most can't. And maybe through meditation or prayer, maybe through music. I remember speaking to someone who'd been to a theological college in Australia where um, uh, they, they, they said that, that they were taught um, that they... Um, uh, could bring people into the presence of God uh, through the way that they play the music or through a particular note that they play even. And it seems to me that this is exactly the sort of thing that Paul is warning us against. The people who offer this um, mystical religion seem humble very often. They say, it's not, it's not about me. It's about God, how he... Uh, has uh, blessed me, uh, the wonderful experiences he's given me. Let me tell you all about them. And just like with ceremonial here, with ceremonial religion here, there's lots that feels right to us. We want, don't we, to take our relationship with God really seriously. We want it to be a living and active relationship. Isn't it a great thing to want God to be with us? To be in the presence of God. To make ourselves available to him and open to him. And isn't it right that God could speak to us in any way he chooses? Those things are, are, are good, right? And we, we want them. So, mystical religion taps into those things. The problem is, once again, it fails to take Jesus seriously. Well, we've been, we've been seeing the past few weeks, haven't we, that Jesus is the mystery of God. Jesus is where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. He is the one in these last days through whom God has finally spoken. He is the one who brings us to God. Do you remember last week, the, the, the bit of paper in Kyle's hand. Wherever Kyle went, so the paper went. And so for the Christian, Paul says they're in Christ. Wherever Christ is, so the Christian is. And so the, the Christian is in the presence of God because they're in Christ. They don't need anything or anyone to take them into the presence of God because they already have the presence of God. Every Christian, no matter what their experience or practice. Do you see? Beware mystical religion. We need to watch out for it. He's, he's very strong, isn't he? He's pretty scathing and, and um, hard-hitting in the way that he says. 
uh, what, about people who, who indulge in this. Verse, nine, uh, verse, verse 18, sorry. They're, these people have grown to great detail about what, what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Gosh. That in itself. I mean, um, they say humble. He says puffed up. They say, oh, how spiritual. He says unspiritual. And he goes on. They, they say they have a special connection. He says they've lost any connection. Paul says, beware mystical religion. We must watch out for it because it comes so naturally to us. We twist the good things of God into uh, religion. Think, for instance, the way we make uh, decisions. We've been thinking about this in, um, in joining the dots recently. So we think about God's, the way God speaks to us. Uh, and we, we talk particularly about guidance, uh, the, the way we make decisions. And whilst um, I personally know in my heart that, that 2 Timothy 3.16 is right, that God has given me everything I need to, to uh, live in a way that's pleasing to God, I find it really tempting to leave the Bible on the shelf when it comes to a tricky decision and just hope and pray that God will reveal something new to me. To, to wait for that, that still small voice, that nudge. And Paul would warn me, I think, that if I pray for it enough and I, I fast for it enough, then sooner or later I'm bound to feel like I've heard it. Whether or not it is in fact God's voice. So we need to be wary, Paul says, of mystical religion. And I guess we're in um, danger of, of, of falling into this way of thinking about uh, Christianity. If when someone asks us what, why, we're, um, what, why I'm a Christian, um, and I end up talking about things that I've experienced, or, or, or things uh, that I've seen, and perhaps I go into great detail, this should make me think of... Colossians 2, right? 16 to 23. Uh, because that, that sounds an awful lot like what Paul is talking about here. And the reason for that is because if I do that, when someone asks me about why I'm a Christian, that will make other people who are asking me that question, whether they're Christian or not, think that's what they need to become Christians. They need a special sort of experience or a special sort of vision. Where, of course, we know there's one thing they need to become Christian. They need Jesus. They need Jesus as he's revealed to us in the gospel, in the Bible. It's as simple as that. And if we really believe Christianity is a relationship then a, rather than a mystical religion, then we'll think and talk about our faith as a relationship with a Jesus who communicates with us in the Bible. And then it's simple, isn't it? For anyone who wants to, uh, to come to know him themselves. Beware mystical religion. And if we get bound up with it, did you notice? Uh, we'll end up disqualifying people. I don't know anyone who does this. Verse 18, disqualify you. Uh, there'll, there'll be a split, won't there, between uh, the enlightened religious haves and the less spiritual have-nots. Uh, some of us are in, uh, who have the light and some of us are in the dark. And, and we see that time and again in history and, and around us. Religious people dividing what the gospel brings together. The gospel unites anyone in Christ. Uh, there's no haves and have-nots. Beware mystical religion. Don't add anything to Jesus. Finally, the, the third thing Paul warns us is what I'm calling 
uh, ascetic religion. Beware ascetic religion. Verses 20 to 23. Have a look back down. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is a religion which is against the material world. Don't touch this, don't taste that, and so on. It's against a pleasure. That's what ascetic means. Uh, ascetic religion is a religion which is kind of against the, 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 the things of this world. It's against marriage and sex and alcohol and uh, smoking and, and potentially against anything fun or that seems like it might be. Uh, anything that could be a waste of time. Now again, that is attractive to us. Strangely attractive to us, perhaps. Because it's, it seems to take sin really seriously. People who make up loads of rules who are really strict with themselves seem to be really strict on sin. Because Paul says that's not what it's about. It's a type of religion. And, and it sounds right to us because... For instance, when people drink alcohol, they sometimes do get drunk. And when people start buying expensive art, sometimes they can't stop doing that. But once more, the problem with this type of religion is that it doesn't take Jesus seriously enough. And that's because the only way to deal with sin is Jesus. It's as we get a taste for Jesus that we lose our taste for sin. Gospel Christianity doesn't cut us off from the world, as we'll see in chapter 3. It teaches us how to live in it and to glorify God in it and to help the people we meet in it. Being in a monastery is not the solution. Uh, there's a, a, a biography um, uh, that I've heard bits of uh, about a guy called um, George Mueller, I think is how you're meant to pronounce it. Is that right, Mueller? It's got an umlaut. I don't know what that means. Anyway, George, George Muller. Um, he, um, he was a, a great Christian guy in the, the 19th century. Um, but I have to admit, I'm, I'm very nervous about the way that lots of people talk about him. Uh, because... Um, one of the things that people focus on is that he used, to, um, he used to get up very early in the morning. I'm talking really early in the morning. Um, earlier even than people with little children have to do. Um, because he would spend hours, I mean literally hours, every morning reading the Bible and praying. And, um, and, and, and that, it makes me nervous when people talk about that. Normally because the way people talk about that is... Where are the people like that today? Where are the spiritual giants all gone? And when someone starts thinking like that, it sounds like they're in danger of what Paul's talking about here, actually. Because they, they speak as if that's the mark of a really mature Christian. 
And if that's true, then, then my spiritual life, and I'm guessing most of our spiritual lives, are a bit of a sham. And when you hear about that, it might inspire you, but, but doesn't it also make you feel inferior if you're a Christian believer? But then when we turn to the Bible, the only time we hear Jesus talking about people who use loads and loads and loads of words to pray, he calls them babbling like pagans. And he says we're not to join them. Now, I'm not, I'm not um, casting aspersions on George Mueller, but on people who talk about him that way. It sounds very plausible, doesn't it? But we need to beware ascetic religion. Look at the danger, uh, verse uh, 23. We'll look down. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. This is the way I've got to do it. Their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You see, we, we all have only so much time and energy available to us. And we've got to make decisions about where we put that time and energy. If we put it into religion, then we can't put all our energy, like at the end of chapter 1, and Paul uh, says that, that, that um, he does, and he wants us to do, into getting to know Jesus better. Do you remember the end of chapter 1? Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. All of the energy needs to go into getting to know Jesus better. That's the only way we can grow as Christians, not religious rules, ascetic practices. Or any of those other types of religion. The kind of experiential, uh, worship like angels type of religion. Or the kind of ceremonial, uh, special times, places, words type of religion. Because Jesus plus anything is, is nothing. But Jesus plus nothing, none of those things, is everything. We don't need any of them. None of them add any value. None of them help us one jot. Because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Our job is to get to know him better. To get to know Jesus better. But because religion is the default of this world, we all want to add religion to it. Partly because of the gap between our facts and fe- the facts and our feelings. Partly because... We're proud and we want to do something. But Jesus is everything. God has brought us to fullness in Christ. So I'm going to pray now that God would keep us from religion. We're going to sing a couple of songs that refocus our attention on Jesus and everything he can do for us to finish. So let me lead us in prayer now.